What if everything you thought of health and wellness suddenly changed due to a hidden breathing problem that you were unaware of that affects every system in your body? Improper breathing habits are often overlooked in medicine. I'm Dr. Jenny from the Hobson Institute, and this is The Breathing Lab. Hello, everyone. I am so pleased to announce we're doing the podcast with Dr. Stanley Paris and Dr. Mariano Roccobato. Thank you both for coming. I hope everybody is as excited as I am to have these amazing two PTs together. Well, so, thank you very much for the invitation. <laughs> you know, this is a pleasure that I was not expecting, especially well to see you once again, <laughs> and also see Stanley, which is my mentor for many, many years until now. Yes. Likewise, I'm pleased to be here. So just a little bit about these two amazing men. Um, you know, Mariano might know how important he is to me, but I don't think Dr. Paris does. Um, you know, that's why I, I wanted to bring these two together because um, they're so influential to so many people. But Dr. Paris is... Um, He's, he's, these two are from the Southern Hemisphere, first of all. They're both from, he's from New Zealand. He, Dr. Paris, and is, he's practiced in New Zealand and England and Canada, Bermuda and the United States. He has a diploma in phys physical therapy and also in business, but his first degree was a PhD in neuroanatomy. So while his specialty has been in manual and manipulative therapy, of the entire body, he's the founder and the first president of the orthopedic section of the American Physical Therapy Association. And his efforts, he's developed the orthopedic clinical specialization, which many PTs strive to achieve every year. But throughout his career, he's written many, many journal articles and he's written a book and opened a dozen of private practices. But one very important thing to me is that he's founded what, what what is called the University of St. Augustine in 1992. So Dr. Paris, when I was studying in Holland at the, the Hoge School van Amsterdam, St. Augustine, University of St. Augustine came to visit us in the late 90s to present all the programs that you all have there, like the doctorate, transitional doctorate program, all the certifications, and you know, the, the Dutch are all manual therapists, many of them are. So your program is very manual therapy based and it made a huge impact on me. So I'm gonna just share a moment. Let me see if I can share some really interesting pictures. Oh, so that's us, right? That's us right, Ooh. that's us right there. Right. And here we go, St. Augustine, that's you giving me my diploma in 2004 that's there and then um so he's the founder of this university which if you can even imagine creating a university but he brought the standards so high one of the things that i can tell you is that uh dr paris i'm going to go back here is one of the was one of the evaluators for the manual therapy certification. And he's one of the strictest of them all. And I was happy to pass it among anybody that's happy to pass his evaluation. He, he 
brought the standard for manual therapy so high. And he's kept that through his university and all the programs that he's had there. And then, of course, there's lovely uh, Catherine Patla, who I have to say is the reason why I'm teaching through the university. She is also an amazing physical therapist. And you always have a, a strong woman by your side, right, Dr. Paris? Yeah, we've been married 39 years now. <clears throat> wow, wow. So I'm I'm grateful to have met Dr. Patla many years ago, but this in, this very important uh, picture is just a few things so that you understand about Dr. Paris. He's completed the world champion Ironman triathlon in Hawaii. He swam the English Channel many, twice at least, maybe three times. Okay, twice. And, twice. <laughs> and then he sailed across the North Atlantic twice and twice and through the Pacific and has tried many times to sail solo around the world. So this is the type of person that we're dealing with. And I just need to share, um, Dr. Paris and Dr. Mariana Roccobato have something very similar. They're so driven and they're such hardworking physical therapists and men in general that wanna bring the standards up and that that relationship I just wanted to bring together as I don't know if all the physical therapists and all the dentists know why this has come about, but because of this beautiful relationship, we have craniofacial therapy the way we know it now. So thank you, Dr. Paris. Yeah. Now I'm going <laughs> to. Please. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm going to take a moment to, to introduce uh, Mariano, Dr. Mariano Rocovado. So let me go back to here. So he, Dr. Mariano Rocovado is a mentor of mine. I will tell you, he has made a huge impact in my life because he's taught me all that I know and teach other physical therapists now how to look at the head and neck and the TMJ. And with that, you're able to open up your own practice and be a a big part of the the treatment team you're you're not just a sole little physical therapist but you're making a huge impact on the lives of many so dr rockabato um and i have been working together since 2001 and um let me keep going here here's some pictures of his clinic in santiago this is fabiola his amazing assistant um he and i I've been working together for many, many years, and this is his atlas, if anybody hasn't seen that, but he's he's very, very much brought all of his concepts into these atlases. This is the background of Chile in Las Condes, Santiago, amazing place to go. And he's just an innovator. He's brought so much to the, the field of craniofacial therapy and to dentistry. Um, this relationship i needed to make sure everybody knew how important it, it it is because it's changed the face of how we see how we treat physical therapy in terms of craniofacial and how dentists work together so i'm going to stop share here dr paris um do you mind if i call you stanley stanley's fine perfectly thank you okay could you tell us dr uh stanley <laughs> how did you meet mariano how did you meet how did you both meet 
Well, I was teaching in 1974, almost 50 years ago, 49 years ago, teaching a seminar in Montreal, Canada, at the uh, opening of the World Confederation of Physical Therapy. And um, the, the course that I was teaching for 10 days was filled. But he walked up to me in the lobby and said, he's come all the way from Chile. Could he please get into the course? I told him there was no way. There was already a, a small waiting list. Uh, but he impressed me so much that I gave him my notes that evening. And I said, turn up in the morning. And we'll see what we can do. So he turned up, of course, and I slipped him in. So I, uh, he, he was there for the, the 10 days. So wasn't it something to do with how long you were going to spend on TMJ that made him kind of think, hmm. Well, that's kind of embarrassing, but yeah. <laughs> um, about the second day, I said, tomorrow we'll do the knee, the hip, and the TMJ. And he said, how long on the TMJ? And I said, oh, I don't know, 10 minutes, that's all it takes. And he said, I teach a two-day course in Chile just on the very basics of the TMJ in two days. And I said, all right, I'll give you a half hour tomorrow at the end of the day. So I gave him that half hour, but he took two hours. And we were well over time, and I had to cut him off finally, but everyone was so fascinated, and so was I. I was busy taking notes on everything he said. And then at the end of it, just as I thought we were now going to get out of the room, he took us to the back of the room where he had put a, an ice cooler full of the alcoholic beverage known as Pisco Sour. <laughs> he entertained us to that. He won the hearts and minds of everyone in my class, and I feared that the next day I would not be able to get them back on track. <laughs> I did. <laughs> so that was our meeting. <laughs> like a true Chileno, Pisco Sour, right? Yeah. That's that's. So Chileans are very welcoming. That's one thing I can say of when every single time I come to visit Mariano, it's it's like a welcoming, you're part of the family. Let me let me let me welcome you, let me give you food, let me give you drinks. So yes, I totally agree. Um I I wanted to ask you, Dr. Paris, at that time, this was 1974. You know, right. this is a long time ago. What was PT like? What was the profession like? Was there specialties then? No. Um, how were PTs viewed as a, as a part of the medical team at that time? When I came to Boston first in 61, then immigrated in 1966 to Boston, um, I found the profession was not a profession. We were technicians. We were totally under the thumb of the medical profession, which didn't even understand us. But they controlled our boards, they controlled our education, and we couldn't see a patient unless they gave us a diagnosis and a prescription telling us what to do. And many therapists were happy with that. But I'd seen in England and Europe and in New Zealand that a higher level of autonomy led to a better level of practice and more value to the health professions of medicine, dentistry, and of course, to the public at large. So my, my energies were devoted to try and support specialization in every area of physical therapy, and in particular, to support autonomy of the profession. And it's worked. In 1987, you received an award from the American Board of Physical Therapy Specialties for your efforts in developing the clinical specialization. And you were one of the integral PTs that founded the orthopedic section of the American PT Association. 
You right. were the first president, right? So could you comment yeah. on that? How, how well, hard was that to do? At, in 1967, uh, there were only uh, one section, and that was section on education. And then they established a private practice section, but there were no clinical uh, sections or specialty groups within APTA. So I asked to start a section on manipulation, which was my primary interest, manual and manipulative therapy. And the APTA said, absolutely not. We were not going to associate ourselves with the area of manipulation. So I reached out to my Canadian colleagues and we formed the North American Academy of Manipulation Therapy. We grew to 942 members. So in 1973, I said to the APTA, we've got 942 members, more than you've got in either the private practice or the education section. And if you don't give us a home within the APTA, my members don't want to be a member and we'll, we'll break away. So we negotiated on that and we agreed on an orthopedic section. So that's what we got. And the orthopedic section is now 23,000 members, but we manual and manipulative therapists did break away again from that section because it's a small subbody area of interest. And we now have about 1500 members in AOMP, the American Academy of Orthopedic Manipulative Therapy. That's wonderful. And many That's other wonderful. sections have followed and we've now got about 23 sections I was a founding member of the Women's Health, for instance. I helped get a number of them going. And that's really advanced our profession to the level that, well, we had to, because a neurosurgeon, a dentist, an orthopedic surgeon, uh, they require more than a new graduate to work closely with them. And so specialization in those various medical areas is the best way that we can serve the medical profession and serve the public. That's great. That's great. And you you founded then later the University of St. Augustine. I know that was something that started in Atlanta and then you brought in Mariano. Could you share a little bit about that? Well, it, it, the present owners of the university consider it started in 1979, which was when I had the Institute of Graduate Health Sciences in Atlanta that I later brought to Florida. Um, the idea was that I wanted to advanced clinical practice, and there were no graduate degrees other than in education. So we started the first uh, clinical graduate degree in the country, and that was in orthopedic physical therapy. And I believe Mariana taught in that, along with a number of other clinicians. And that's why I finally got into undergraduate education, offering the master's and, and doctoral degree at entry level, because I find that most faculty are not clinicians. They are academics, um, obviously, but they very rarely treat patients. And some of them are academics because they didn't like the clinic. And I wanted to change that. I wanted to have faculty who were definitely tied to a clinic, establish a clinic with the program, have them hands-on and have the education relevant to the present and future needs of physical therapy, not something of the past. And so we advertised our school as being able to graduate everybody who had the stay with all to do it, uh, to take their state boards. But our emphasis was on manual and ma manipulative therapy, the musculoskeletal area of our practice. And our school got five times as many applicants as we could handle. So we finished up having four schools at the time that I, I sold the university. And you brought in Mariano um, to the university. What was your goal in doing that? 
Well, because he had something to offer better than anybody else in that area. And he he was, a, as you have said, an inspirational figure. And um, we knew that if you're going to get the best education, go to the best person. He founded this area. I believe his sister was a dentist and one day asked him, what do you do for the TMJ? And he said, we didn't know. And that started your interest, was it not, Rocky? You're right. That's part of the history. Yeah. Absolutely. And so he found a need, uh, as we many of us have. And uh, we he got together and developed it. And I could see that. And so I brought him to, you know, well, United States. But Rocky, you actually called me, didn't you, at one time? <laughs> That's right. Well, I needed something to make a difference in Chile, especially because that's where I was practicing at that time. But I also needed to continue my education in the area of musculoskeletal conditions. And of course, I heard about you. And I said, well, if you want to learn from somebody, you have to learn from the best. So I decided to go to the United States. And the only way I could get in was doing a personal communication with you. So that's right. how I basically ended up in, uh, in Atlanta at the beginning where you were studying the program together with the Doctors Memorial Hospital in Atlanta. That's where I went through. That's right. A multidisciplinary Atlanta back clinic and the back school of Atlanta. And then you established the West Paces Ferry Headache and Facial Pain Clinic. And you stayed, what, two years, Rocky? Two years. That was two years in Atlanta. Right. Great experience. Thank you the very best. much. So we taught him what we knew, and he taught him us much of what he knew. And so it was a mutual exchange. Well, you have to realize that we we started the West Paces Ferry uh, Clinic in head, neck, and facial pain, uh, right. together with the dysfunctions of the temporal mandibular joint, which I think probably was the first clinic related to TMJ, guided and directed by a physical therapist at that time. Yeah. But that was not necessarily uh, involved necessarily in dentistry, but started the program to get involved with them. Good. Mariano, I didn't realize your your sister was a dentist and that sparked your interest. Like, how did you start working with learning this? <laughs> no one knew this area. How did you just start this process? Well, it was, it was quite interesting. Uh, at the beginning, when I was going through actually physical therapy school, my sister was going through dental school. And we were studying together in, you know, in, in the same house, in same facilities, etc. And I would say that my sister came home with more questions about physical therapy than I knew about dentistry. And one of their questions was basically in pediatrics, that uh, they were using appliances in their mouth and they were not able to keep them, you know, in, in the right way. And she said, well, this is a problem that has to do with muscles, you know, not allowing the kids to support the orthopedic treatment. And she asked me, well, what are you doing as a physical therapist about it? And I said, well, leave me alone, you know, I'm just, <laughs> I will just continue with physical therapy and you stay in dentistry. And she came back many times asking me questions about situations that she saw in the dental school that were actually related, according to her vision, to physical therapy. And I never realized it until she took me to the dental school for me to do observations in different clinics. And that's how it started, going into the dental school, going through the different departments, 
and observing what was going on in that area that we had no idea about it. Wow. And what wow. called my attention specifically was pediatrics. You know, looking at small childs uh, coming in with abnormal positions of the head, mouth opens, breathing through their mouth. And I said, well, you know, this is are the same conditions that I see with my adult patients in the clinic when I was doing my practices, uh, clinical practices. And I said, the difference is that my adult patients are coming to see me because they have pain. And they also had not only pain, but they had pain and degeneration, especially in the cervical spine. And I said, these pediatric kids have the same abnormal structural relationship, but no pain and no degeneration. So I said, this is only a time factor until these kids will grow until an adult age and will show and the presence of degeneration and progression of pathologies in that area. So that's the way I started to look at pediatrics relative to joint degeneration and in relationship to joint pain as a progression of abnormal relationship of the musculoskeletal system. It was an interesting uh, process. You know, I, I always say that children need to be treated now because they, they have these problems that develop at a young age, like you say, and they become the adults that we see later on that are already very degenerative. So, um, Stanley, you wrote an editorial about how you met uh, Mariano in 1974, and you said some really wise things. And it said that when we became a doctoring profession, it's largely because of the likes of Dr. Mariano Rocavado, who developed the advanced body of knowledge and skills unique to our profession, thus freed us from the medical control and prescription to, to the point today. A lot of us have direct access and can see patients. And it's because of th these experts that we have in the field, and Mariano is one of them. Um, I, I, I just love what you said about how he has combined and worked across all these disciplines of medicine and dentistry and radiology. Have you seen that type of cross-discipline lines, Dr. Paris or Stanley? Um, with other professions in or specialties in our field? Not nearly as much as I'd like to see it, but I might not be current in that regard. When Mariana joined us in Atlanta, we were in a multidisciplinary clinic. There were about six or seven physical therapists, four psychologists, three physicians, dietitian, tai chi, and we were dealing with chronic low back pain as well as acute low back pain. And it was multidisciplinary, and I, I ran it, and I had no problem in doing that because each one of us there were top of our field, and we had respect. And I always find that if, if you are a specialist in orthopedic physical therapy, for instance, and you know your stuff, and you can stand up and speak at an orthopedic medical meeting, you'll soon get the respect for yourself and your colleagues. The world's not closed but you can't hide your talent. You have to develop your talent. You have to promote it by being seen there. So my big thing was to being a member of the International Number Spine Society, which I'm now an honorary life member. I presented papers there uh, at that group for a number of years in mainly in neuroanatomy and how it affected surgical procedures. 
And that won respect for me, of course, but for my profession, as, as Mariano has done, not only just for himself, but for the profession of physical therapy. And now they listen to us worldwide. And so here we are, a doctoring profession. We've now got a lot more autonomy. We don't any longer really need a doctor's referral or prescription. The public can come straight to us. It may affect their insurance, but they can still come straight to us and receive physical therapy care. That's a total change from the 1960s. But we won it. We won it by, by specializing and, and improving our undergraduate education. Yes, and you mentioned how dentistry and radiology has crossed the disciplines. Mariano, I would like you to share. There's many dentists on, on the call. And by the way, anybody that has questions, please put it in the chat. We do have some time at the end for questions. So please put them in. I have Shannon who is helping me organize the questions at the end. So please go ahead and do that. Um, Mariano, tell us how you have developed a way of working with dentists and how important is that for the care and the success of the patient, the outcome? Well, I think the most important concept came out of growth and development. I started working with pediatrics since day number one, newborns, uh, congenital malforma malformations, then later adolescents, but basically observing the importance of soft tissue and how soft tissue guides the patterns of growth and development, especially in the craniofacial area. You know, all your face, your eyes, your brain, your tongue are soft tissues that are guiding symmetry and proportions of the face. That was my first initial work on symmetries and asymmetries on craniofacial due to abnormal soft tissue balance. It's very simple sometimes to understand, for instance, the growth of the face de depending on rest position of the tongue. How important is the tongue to be supported in the palate? How it expands the palate in a transverse way? The palate is the roof of the mouth, but it's the floor of the nose. So airway was a very important part 50 or 55 years ago in developing craniofacial symmetry. So I started working in mouth breathing, uh, tongue position, lip closure, uh, symmetries of muscles of the face, and how they were guiding the patterns of growth and development of the face. Later on, the same concept of soft tissue management came in relationship to the temporal mandibular joint. Why? Because the mandible was part of the system, but everything was seen in the dental field as an osteokinematic pattern of movement, how the mandible moved in relationship to the cranium, in protrusion, in lateral movements, opening, that's only osteokinematic. And I said, well, this temporomandibular joint is a synovial joint. That's the most important thing. So it's a movable joint. So it has to follow the patterns of arthrokinematics that we learned from Stanley and other uh, great manual therapists around the world, the concept of arthrokinematics and how joints move and how the joints glide and how you maintain the integrity of a synovial joint that could be a knee, a shoulder, or a facet joint on the spine. So I introduced the concept of synovial joints at the level of the temporomandibular joint. And I think that has been a very important point 
that dentists are starting to understand the concept of arthrokinematics because they are only taught in the concept of osteokinematic. So my approach was that soft tissues guide the paths of growth and development, but also soft tissue always wins over heart tissue. So I started to see in dentistry, when we started with, with dental orthopedics, to guide growth and development in craniofacial areas, but we also saw relapses and we saw changes of growth, asymmetries, degeneration, and pain, not necessarily in adults, but also in pediatrics. So I started to introduce the concept of soft tissue, the balance of soft tissue, arthrokinematics to maintain healthy synovial joints in the body, but also at the level of the temporomandibular joint that was not taught in an average dental school. So dentists became very much involved in the concept of musculoskeletal conditions. Amazing. And you know, you've brought up a whole other way of looking at patients. When I'm with you in, in Santiago, there's normally many x-rays that you look at and and you're you're working with with radiology too can you share a little bit about that because it's well, it's not always a, common for pts to <laughs> to look at at x-rays every patient like you do exactly well that was a very important issue at that time we're talking you know over 50 years dentist you have to understand our professionals that are taught to be perfect. Oh, sorry, sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> and okay. not only taught to be perfect, but also with the concept that everything has to be measured. And if it's not measured, it's just an opinion and not a fact. And I had to fight with that concept since the beginning. So when I was dealing with dental orthopedics in the dental school, the most common observation was done for diagnosis was through a lateral cephalometric analysis. But it was a very short analysis of the craniofacial area, and they were cutting the cervical spine basically at the level of C4. So it was a very short vision of the craniofacial area. And when I looked at it, I said, well, they're only looking at the area of the face, the development of the teeth, uh, what kind of a malocclusion they may have according to this lateral x-ray. And I said, well, why aren't they not looking also what's seen on the x-ray posteriorly, which was actually the craniovertebral joints? And I said, if we have it on an x-ray, why don't we study both situations at the same time? And that's when I developed the concept of 50-50%, that 50% is craniomandibular, and 50% is craniovertebral because the cranium was the concept of observation for the dentist as craniofacial, but for the physical therapist was craniocervical. So I developed the concept of 50-50% concept at that time. But to be able to share that information of the craniocervical region, I needed to have something that could be measurable, that everybody could see. So I developed a lateral cephalometric analysis to develop the concept of how the cranium is held by the cervical spine and the relationship not only of the paravertebral structures, but the prevertebral structures and the inframandibular structures related 
to craniofacial and temporomandibular joint. So I developed that lateral cephalometric analysis without basically being a, a radiologist or being a dentist, but it was developed for the radiologist and for the dental profession. So it's been a, a long process of developing x-rays for dentists and physical therapists to work together. Today, we have the great growth of the development of the technology. Today, we work with three dimension. Before, it was just one lateral film. Today, it's three dimension. And in dentistry, it's the high-resolution tomography. So I got immediately involved in high-resolution tomography. And I developed the concept of observing not through a lateral film. The lateral film was the initial uh, growth pattern in radiology. But now it's axial, coronal, and we end with sagittal. So we're looking at it in a completely different way. It's like if you were looking at a person in a view like this, then you were looking at sagittal, but also coronal. So it became to be axial, coronal, sagittal, three dimension. And that measurements, the observation of those structures is what today dentists follows as the Roccobato protocol for CBCT observations. So again, you know, I think what we have learned through the years in arthrokinematics of the musculoskeletal system, our joint moves, our joint glides, the importance of stability of a joint, depending on the simple concept of convex and concave, which is a very interesting concept learned for many years. Today, we can see it, we can measure it, we can evaluate it in dynamically. So my observation through images is to show that arthrokinematics can be seen through a three-dimension tomography study that guides the pattern for treatment processes. But to be specific, but to be specific, you have to be able to have a specific techniques to show that you're able to make a change, not only with sensitivity, but also objectively to share with the dentist that we have techniques that can make a difference and can make changes that are objective to measure and show to everybody. That's the concept of high-resolution tomography with my protocol that I can share to any profession to see dysfunction and to see degeneration and why does it happen. So basically, the, the radiology confirms what you've seen in practice, but you can share it and you can educate others with it. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's the most important thing, you know, to have something that you can share and you can communicate with. I can call a doctor and say, I have many angles, many degrees. I have spaces that you can compare before and after. Because dentists are, are very strict on that. You know, they have to have a process how you can measure the progression of a treatment how you can show a before and after, how you can change, say, a change on craniofacial growth. If you have a symmetry, how you can take it into a, a symmetrical relationship. Dentists are born in dentistry measuring conditions. 
They need numbers. They need measurements to be able to know if it's right or it's wrong or there is a progression of the pathology or you can reverse the situation. They need to do objective observations and measurements. And many therapists have to get used to that, to work with measurements and show the ability to make a change objectively and measurable. Now, for the dentists that are listening to this this interview, um, you know, I work with dentists myself, and I, I'm always trying to create the best cervical lordosis in the, in the, in the neck, and, and how that changes the position of the mandible. Can you share the how you how you teach um, dentists how to work with PTs like what what does that look like what is that you know how how did how can dentists integrate this in their practice well I would say that probably imaging is one of the most important factors that we have created for dentistry to observe our mechanism of work When we look at the arthrokinematics of the temporomandibular joint, a simple thing as the condyle being convex and the disc joint surface is concave. Simple concept of convex concave. They glide in opposite direction, but at the level of the temporomandibular joint, they also luxate in opposite direction. So if the condyle glides back, the disc glides forward. If the condyle goes medially, the disc goes laterally. If the condyle goes laterally, the disc goes medially. So if you look at that simple principle, that can be seen in a high-resolution tomography just by looking spaces. If I see a wider space in an axial view, between the medial wall of the fossa and the medial condyle wall with a wider space, I can presume that that condyle is laterally opening the space medially. And if it's a convex on a concave joint surface, that disc is gonna be medially luxated towards the open space. That simple concept of convex on concave or between the condyle and the disc, that they glide and luxate in opposite direction is the most simple way of dentists to understand why physical therapist is so important. If they can combine that together with what they can see on the images, just in an actual view, you see on one side a widening space between the medial fossa and the condyle, and on the other joint, a narrowing space between the medial wall of the condyle and the medial wall of the fossa, you know that you have a medial displacement on the disc on one side with a lateral displacement of the disc on the opposite side. Very simple, just by looking at space on the CBCT, but if you know the mechanics of a convex on a concave joint surface, they can presume which way the disc is subluxed. That's a simple observation, but they need to understand arthrokinematics. So we teach the arthrokinematics related to what we see on the images on the CBCT. That has been probably the best way of involving dentists and physical therapists together. 
there was one question that came through that said, can you explain mm -hmm. the distinction between osteokinematics and arthrokinematics? What's the difference? Well, the difference is how a bone moves in relationship to another bone. That's osteokinematic. I open my mouth. There's a distance between the mandible and the maxilla. That's osteokinematic. But you don't know how you were able to get to that opening of the mouth, maybe with a luxated disc on the temporomandibular joint, or how the joint is gliding to allow that osteokinematic opening of the mouth to happen. It can happen with a disc luxated, or it can happen with a disc in a normal position. And you may have 50 or 40 millimeters of opening with a luxated disc or with a disc in normal position. That is arthrokinematic related to osteokinematics. You have to combine all with both. How you accomplish a pattern of movement depending how joint surfaces glide. Osteokinematics is often referred to as the angular motion between bones. Arthrokinematics is the intimate mechanics of joints. Thank you, exactly. Stanley. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to go just to a new, uh, a little bit of a new topic here. Um, how, uh, Mariano, how has the craniofacial field changed over the years, and what direction do you see it going? Well, I think uh, the growth of the profession of physical therapists, the specialty fields in physical therapy, manotherapy being one, or the musculoskeletal, and craniofacial field that started with the temporomandibular joint, today is just part of the field, is a new specialty around the world. And I put a name on it. <laughs> and I put a name as an expert field of physical therapy. And I put an expert field name because experts are people that can make intelligent decisions. And here, in the area of craniofacial area, you need to be an expert. The details that are involved in craniofacial growth, the details that are involved in trying to maintain symmetries and proportions in the craniofacial area, the way this joint does is a double joint as a condyle disc, this temporal synovial joint is two independent synovial joints in the same joint. There's a condyle disc synovial joint and there's a disc temporal synovial joint with independent functions, independent dysfunctions, and independent pathologies. And plus that, connected through a bone that makes double joints, a right, two joints, a left, Two joints, so we're dealing with four synovial joints in every movement of the mandible. That's not easy to balance for a normal pattern of movement without wear and without pain. So time, direction, and load in the area of craniofacial region is very important. So time, direction, and load to the temporomandibular joint includes something that is, for me, probably the most important concept, which is occlusion, how the teeth fit together. But that's one part, probably for aesthetics, cosmetics, teeth should look nice, but they need to function. 
and they need to glide, and they need to glide without load and protect the system. Why? Because occlusion is made for protection. And when the teeth do not fit in the right proper position, the time direction and load that takes place between the gliding surfaces of the teeth, they always overload the temporomandibular joint. So occlusion is very important, but more important is what is called disocclusion, how the teeth protect. Like the right canine needs disocclusion. Why? Because it protects the left joint. And the left canine needs disocclusion. Why? Because it protects the right joint. So the right protects the left, and the left protects the right. If you don't have disocclusion, which is a simple concept of how these joint surfaces glide, occlusion and arthrokinematics of synovial joints, the concept and the principles are the same. How these joint surfaces of the teeth glide between each other, guiding the pattern of movement. It's different a tooth that is like this to a tooth that is like this. The gliding between each other protects time, direction, and load. A tooth that is gliding over another tooth that does not protect the contralateral joint is always the synonymous of wear, tear, and pain. Time, direction, and load. So occlusion, we cannot leave occlusions aside. But occlusion needs disocclusion, which is protection of the system. And that's where we have to understand that the synovial joint of the temporomandibular joint and the way occlusion is related and glide between each other, both of them have to have the same principles. We see a lot of the patients that have problems with too much pressure, right? So it causes the, the, the pain symptoms that come with that clenching or bruxism symptom that happens when, when, when we don't breathe correctly or we don't position our tongue correctly and there's inflammation in the system and limited space. So I, I, I just want to share that um, I, I, I see many of these patients come to my practice because of pain. So many people have cranial mandibular craniofacial disorders, but they don't realize it until they have pain or they have issues with sleep or snoring or bruxism at night. So um, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I, I think if the dentist can learn how PTs can work together as a team and that putting just an appliance in someone's mouth when they have cervical compromise or cervical lordosis that is not present. And a lot of people have straight necks and posterior rotation of their cranium on their neck and their neck is not in that good alignment. It causes a lot of tension in the face and tension in the neck. And then it brings these patients. But um, thank you, Mariano. Yeah, um, I think, I think, I think that uh, there's two issues involved For, to have pain. You have to have tissue damage. There has to be a rupture. There has to be bleeding, inflammation, swelling, swelling, passive congestion, etc., in a joint or in a tissue. At the level of the temporomandibular joint, what we have to understand that what can give you pain is not the disc, 
because the disk has no innervation. It's not the articular cartilage because the articular cartilage has no innervation. So what gives you pain in this joint? Soft tissue damage. The structure that can give you pain is soft tissue. And the first tissue that are involved in the joint is the inside wall of the capsule. And the inside joint of the capsule is called synovium. So the synovium is vascularized, innervated. So whenever you invade the synoviums, you are very close to produce rupture, tear, bleeding, inflammation, swelling inside the upper compartment of the joint or the lower compartment of the joint. So where do those structures can bleed? Where the synoviums are located on the extremes of the joint, lower, anterior, lower, posterior, upper, anterior, upper, posterior. Those areas, if we understand the concept of arthrokinematics, are extreme areas of the joint, the maximum extreme position of the joint, where the joint is no longer a joint. That is what is called, in our concepts of arthrokinematics, a close-packed position. Joints do not function in close-packed positions. They are slightly away from it in a loose-packed position. Well, the temporomandibular joint is the same. As long as you keep the joint functioning away from the extremes, inferiorly to the disc, anterior, inferior, posterior, inferior, superior, anterior, posterior, superior, the joint can function in any direction without pain. The problem is extremes, when those joints move into extremes. Now, the most common condition that can take you to extremes are abnormal positions of the head in relationship to the cervical spine because it compromises not only the posterior structures of the head and the neck, but also the anterior inferior structures of the mandible, suprahyoids, infrahyoids, and the middle pharyngeal constrictor muscles that relates the hyoid to the mandible. So whatever happens to this distance between the mandible and the sternum immediately puts the joint under a condition of moving away from that area and takes the joint to function into those extremes. Repetitive microtrauma, time, direction, and load. That's a concept very important in this area. If you function into the extremes, time, direction, and load, you will produce a rupture. And that rupture will produce bleeding, swelling, inflammation, and pain. So we have to stay away from the synoviums, basically, during all the process of oral rehabilitation or musculoskeletal stabilization. Wow. That, that, I, 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 you all know that we could listen to Dr. Mariano Ragavado for hours, but there's <laughs> so little time now. So I'm going to ask just one more question to each. And then we have some time for questions at the end. Um, Stanley, I always ask this at the end. What do you wish you knew then that you know now when you look back at your incredible career? And what would you have done differently? Very loaded question. <laughs> well, I, I was forewarned of that question. You know, I really can't answer it because I don't think I would have done anything differently. I would like to have moved a little faster. 
I would like to have been a bit more diplomatic. I probably had more opposition uh, than I needed. And if I'd been a bit more kindly, um, softer, I might have got, got there a bit faster. I don't know. I'm happy with what I've been able to achieve. I I have enjoyed the the relationship like with Mariano here. I have many re such relationships. I find mentoring to be the, the best value now, um, encouraging others to keep the profession growing and moving ahead for the betterment of our patient. Uh, no, I have no regrets really. I wouldn't have done much differently. Wonderful. Mariano, what do you wish you knew then that you know now when you look back at your career and what would you have done differently? Actually, I think I agree entirely with Stanley <laughs> I, because you have to understand that I started a field with a profession that was not involved in physical therapy by any means other than the medical field to open up I would say a door to fit the profession of physical therapy in dentistry is probably a great uh, advancement in the profession. Hmm. So I was uh, basically like a leader, but I was formed by the need of being a leader in the field to be able to be different because in our profession, we have thousands of millions of physical therapists. <laughs> but when you start to fight in your environment to be develop a profession, you need to have something that makes you different, that creates a need for your observations, for your learning process, for your practices. But the most important thing I think is sharing the information. In physical therapy, you have to understand one thing. Dentists have no idea physical therapists exist. It's not taught in the dental school physical therapy. It's not taught physiotherapy, electrotherapy, manotherapy. They know nothing about physical therapists or how you can support their profession. So one of the things that I think made a difference was communication. The ability to get close to the dentist, show them what you're doing, what you're able to do, what you're able to accomplish. You need to show before and afters. I was forced since I would say the beginning of my career to show in dentistry the importance of soft tissue, how soft tissues can guide the pattern of growth and development, how soft tissue balance can guide the growth of a tooth that when it erupts from the bony crib is completely surrounded by soft tissue. And the position of that tooth is dependent on the environment of that soft tissue. That simple communication, talking with dentists, was probably the beginning of physical therapy and dentistry, communication. You need to communicate. Dentists don't know that physical therapists exist. They don't know what physical therapists can offer, especially in specialties like manual therapy. So I say the most important thing, every time physical therapist gets a cervical spine 
patient in the clinic, the first question they have to ask that patient is, who is your dentist? Call the dentist and say, doctor, I have a patient of yours in my practice. He has a, a trauma to the cervical spine. And at the same time, I feel, I feel, I may observe that maybe the mandible is not symmetrically positioned. I may see that maybe now the patient says that he's not biting where he used to bite before, after the accident. I would like you to see the case so that we can find rest position. Rest position is the right question for the dentist. The most common condition that the dentist has in his practice is clenching, grinding, and the loss of rest position of the mandible. We as physical therapists have to be able to create rest position, but you have to communicate to let them know how you can do it by balancing soft tissue conditions. Communication is the key for this profession in the dental field. Thank you, Mariano. I think all the attendees would agree that we could listen to both of you all day. Unfortunately, that's it's time to, to actually stop the interview right now, but I would like to share with everybody that if you'd like to join me on Friday at 5 p.m., I'm going to continue the conversation and answering any of the questions that came up. Um, I know Mariano is, is still teaching in the United States with Dr. Jay Gerber. I'm going to be assisting that course coming up in November, and he's also teaching in um, Chile through the Bach program, um, and I can share with you about that um, when we when we talk at uh, Ask Dr. Jenny, um, the webinar I'm providing on, on Friday on at five o'clock in Central Time. Um, but if you want to, you could also go to the Hobson Institute, um, and it would just be great for you all to see that I have resources for medical providers that wanna learn more about craniofacial therapy, and you can sign up at the resource page and also for any future event there. Um, Dr. Roccobato, Dr. Stanley Perez, um, thank you so much for your time, all the hard work that you put into our profession and how many, how many people you have touched because of this beautiful relationship you have made. We have been able to teach more PTs and dentists how to work this area of the body and how to get more patients healthier and, 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 and feeling like they're thriving instead of just surviving. So thank you both for being here. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for putting us together. Thank you very yes. much. Yes. <laughs> and and I, I hope to have you again at some point in the future. Oh, for okay. sure. We'll thank see you, you soon. Thank <laughs> you for listening to The Breathing Lab with Dr. Jenny. 